one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 22. The Deathly Hallows. Harry fell, panting, onto grass and scrambled up at once. They seemed to have landed in the corner of a field at dusk. Hermione was already running in a circle around them, waving her wand. I'm Casper Turkile. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. We're starting the episode this week with two very exciting announcements. The first is that on October 25th, we are doing our second Patreon movie watch along. So if you are part of the $5 tier or higher on Sunday, October 25th at 7 p.m. Eastern, I will be watching Pride and Prejudice, the only one that matters, the Kira Knightley version on Discord with all of our patrons. I really hope that a bunch of you join. We did to all the boys I love before last month, and it was ridiculous amounts of fun. The second announcement is that we are doing our next Harry Potter and the Sacred Text virtual class. This is just like an episode of Harry Potter, but interactive. So this is going to be book three, Prisoner of Azkaban. It's going to be Tuesday nights from 8 to 9.30 Eastern. It's going to start on November 17th and run for six weeks. Go to harrypottersacredtext.com and click on the orange button to find out more. And I hope so many of you join us. And now the most important thing of all, thanking our patrons. This week, we want to thank Catherine Viles, Julia Riley, Layla Khalifa, Grace Wakuski, and Abby Sagal. Thank you so much for your support. And 
Feel free to join them in using the word fetch, wearing pink on Wednesdays, and supporting us on Patreon. (laughs) I love it. This is the pop group that we didn't know we needed. And a big shout out to our local group in Macklin, Canada, the Macklin Muggles, run by Ashley Spikerman. And if you want to join the Macklin Muggles or any of our local groups, so many of whom are meeting online right now, so you can join them wherever you are, you can go to harrypottersecrettext.com and click on local groups. Vanessa, we're reading today's chapter through the theme of knowledge, and it's your turn to tell us a story. Yeah, so I was home in California with my family. This was probably in like 2002, so from college, winter break. And I was going back to St. Louis the following day, and then my friend Andrea and I, we were going to borrow a car and drive to Indianapolis to see Ani DeFranco. (gasps) And then my mom came into my bedroom the night that I was packing, and she was like, I looked at the weather report, and I do not think you should drive from St. Louis to Indianapolis. There's going to be a snowstorm. And I was like, Mom, I'm going to go. I have tickets, and unless the roads are dangerous, which they close the roads if the roads are dangerous, I'm going to go. Then the following morning, she took me to the airport, and she was like, Vanessa, I need you to promise me. I need you to promise me that you're not going to go. I've gotten it into my head that you're going to get hurt. The roads are going to be dangerous. I don't want you driving that late at night. Promise me you won't go. And so I very quickly was like, okay, mom, you're right. It's not worth worrying you. I promise. A hundred percent knowing I was absolutely going to still go to this concert. I was like, (laughs) I am 20 years old. You can't control me. Who the hell are you to tell me what to do? I support myself, blah, blah, blah. Land in St. Louis. Andrea and I borrow a car. We drive to Indianapolis. The concert was so great. (laughs) Drive home. Call my mom the next day. And she goes, hi, sweetie. How was the concert? (gasps) And I was like, what? What concert? And she was like, oh, I know you went. (laughs) And obviously the point of the story is that my mom is a witch. But in reflecting back on it, it just occurs to me that, yes, it was a great magic trick that my mom pulled off, being like, I knew you were going, and at the end of the day, I wasn't going to throw a fit about it. But the other thing about it is that she realized, even though she knew, there was nothing she could do. I was thousands of miles away, and she had no actual power over me, other than my undying love and respect, of course. And I think, I mean, what I think is so beautiful about my mom is how she accepted that rather than being like, you lied to me. She was just like, just so you know, I know. (laughs) But the other thing about that is that her knowledge wasn't enough. It certainly wasn't enough to go up against a like newly freed 20 year old version of me. I love your mom so much. (laughs) I know. <laughs> this is so in line with everything that I'm learning about her. And I I love that she, there was like no drama about it. It was like, I want to know that you're safe. But then it was also like, she wanted to join you in the, I'm sure delight that you had at the concept, right? Like she knew that you would have a great time. And once it was safe, like she wanted to join you in that knowledge. I would say it's like a pretty cool move my mom pulled and it would be a lot cooler if she didn't bring it up all the time. (laughs) Whenever she suspects I'm withholding from her, she'll be like, you mean like you didn't go to that concert in Indianapolis? I'm like, yes, (laughs) mom, play it cooler. (laughs) 
Okay, 30-second recap, Casper. You have all the knowledge, but do you have the skill? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Uh, Five years in, I still delight him. (laughs) On your mark, get set, go. Okay, so they've escaped. It's amazing. And Ron is like, wow, fantastic. I'm going to make a cup of tea. Um, And then they're talking about the Hallows. And and Harry's like putting all the pieces together. And he's like, oh, my God, the the final missing one is the wand. And I probably have the resurrection stone in this snitch. Ah, amazing. It all fits. It fits. And Hermione's like, no, it doesn't. Get back to reality. Um, She's doing like tweets with little hand emojis. Um, And then they're talking about it. And they listen to the radio for a bit. And they hear Lee, which is amazing. And then Harry's so stupid. He says Voldemort. And then suddenly... There's people outside saying, like, there's ones. Ron doesn't just make a cup of tea. He makes everyone a cup of tea. It's true. He's being little Molly. He's like, my mom always said that making a cup of tea helps. And then he's like, I don't know what to do. So I'm going to make a cuppa. I'm going to make a cuppa. Although I should say, if you say Ron makes a cup of tea, that implies in England that you're making a cup of tea for everyone. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not just for yourself. Yeah, if you're saying I'm going to make a cup of tea. Because, you know, who wouldn't want tea if I'm making some? Turns out Americans. Monsters. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. 30 seconds on the clock, Vanessa. You ready to roll? Yep. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. So Ron is like, why'd you put me under the cloak? And Hermione was like, Vanessa, explain that in the last chapter. And he was like, oh, that makes sense. (laughs) And then Harry is like really obsessing. And he really wants everybody to understand that the Hallows might be just important. And maybe um, Dumbledore wanted him to not know because Dumbledore was always doing that kind of stuff. And then, but Hermione and Ron, not just for sycophantic reasons, but they both really are like, I don't think it's the Deathly Hallows that we're supposed to go after. I think it's the Horcruxes. And then at the very end of the chapter, Harry says Voldemort. So all these Death Eaters descend and they're probably about to get arrested and a significant time passes in this chapter like they spend a lot of time trying to dial in every night to the radio like we're in this early spring suddenly it's no longer christmas time yeah yeah yeah. it is weeks and weeks that pass in this slight chapter this is one of my faves. I have to say, there's so much excitement in this chapter. Like, there's breakthroughs in knowledge. There's a little bit of conflict and drama. We get to have some old favorite characters come back, at least their voices over the radio. And, you know, as we said, Ron makes a cup of tea. Should we start there? I feel like we should start with Ron. Yeah, let's start with Ron. Where do you see things with Ron and knowledge? Yeah, so one of the things Ron says right kind of near the beginning of the chapter, he's like, you're a genius. <laughs> he's, he's telling Hermione like how smart she is. And there's something really lovely about putting Hermione on her intelligence pedestal. Like we're, we're back in the right way of things as they are. But Ron also has a couple of ways of knowing that I think are really important to point to. The cup of tea is, you know, a small thing, but he's showing the things that he knows, as we talked about before, the gifts that Molly has given him in terms of making people feel comfortable and at home. But we also hear that he really steps up in terms of his leadership. He's the one who's kind of activating them to rethink about the places that were important to Voldemort. And the thing I love most is that he actually brings real insight and knowledge when they're talking about the the potential of pretending to be someone else. They're questioning, did Xenophilius make up that whole story about the three brothers? Is it really true? Um, and he says, you know what? When I was pretending to be Stan, it was much easier for me to pretend to be him than making up facts on the spot. So I think Xenophilius was telling the truth and we can trust that this is a real story. 
And so there's there's an element of Ron stepping into his knowledge and therefore being able to take leadership, which I thought was really lovely. Like he feels like he's contributing. And so he feels like he's being useful, which has been such a challenge for him so far. I also think that part of the knowledge is his understanding of the mission. I mean, you pointing us to how much time has passed, right? There have been long days where he has felt useless, I'm sure, in that. But he now understands that he's not alone in that. I think before he was looking around for other people to lead and was like, so what's the plan for today? And now he's like, oh, we're all just the adults here and we're all trying to figure out what the plan for today is. And it is one third my responsibility to figure that out. And so I feel like there's a wisdom to this knowledge, this like new understanding of what's going on. And I feel like sometimes it takes me a really long time to figure out what the dynamic of something is. I'll be like sitting there trying to figure it out. And then all of a sudden it'll click and I'll be like, oh, I need to be the person who does this. And so I feel for Ron that it took him so long and it's lovely to see him coming into that that awareness. You pointed to something just in what you said, Vanessa, that I think is really interesting. And this is the different layers of knowledge that exist. I've always loved that image of kind of a pyramid of knowledge where at the base you have data. It might just be numbers. It might be words. It might be smells, right? All sorts of different data. And then if you're kind of one step up in terms of analysis from data, you have information, you're able to say like, oh, this number is how many kilos I weigh or like these smells remind me of my parents or whatever it is. And then above that is knowledge, which is like, I know that my parents live in this place and that's why they smell this way. Wow, this example is really going off road really quickly. (laughs) But then at the highest part of the pyramid, you have wisdom. And so not all knowledge is equal is, I guess, what I'm trying to say. And I feel like what Ron is able to figure out in this moment is that he might not necessarily have reached that point of wisdom, but he has real knowledge that he's contributing. It's not just data. It's not just information. It's a higher kind of ranking of insight that he's able to share. And I find that quite a helpful way of thinking about, you know, what what am I dealing with or what am I contributing when I'm thinking about information or or knowledge, because there are different types of knowledge. Does, Does that make sense? Yeah. And I think that that's actually the central struggle of this chapter between Hermione and Harry, right? Hmm. Which is that they both have the same bits of data. Right. But they are building totally separate pyramids. A hundred percent. And what's so interesting to me is all of the things that we praise Hermione for are leading her in this moment to the wrong conclusion. She's being rational. She's going back to her faith in Dumbledore. She is staying true to her original commitments. But Harry, on top of that, just has this gut intuition about this memory of his mother's letter, of what else could be in the snitch, of this tactile, vague thing that he can't explain about his relationship with Dumbledore. And I didn't remember that he figures out that he has the resurrection stone. Me either. So early. Like, what's a more apt metaphor for, like, the moment that we are in right now than knowing something to be true and not being able to access the nugget of that knowledge for good? It's like we know COVID spreads and that we have to wear masks. We know that climate change not only is real, but, like, we need to stop arguing about whether or not it's real and only need to be arguing about the best way to fight it, right? Like, we know those things. And yet, Certain administrations are keeping that resurrection stone in the snitch. We're just like powerless to open it. 
we're all like making out with the snitch, trying to get it to open. <laughs> yeah, the textile says he puts it in his mouth and he nearly swallows it. So, okay, <laughs> and he Harry. also kisses it. You know, listen, sometimes we get lonely. I definitely made out with my arm when I was like 12, when I was trying to figure it all out. And he uh, he kisses it for good reason, right? He thinks it's... <laughs> I was making out with my arm for good reason. <laughs> <laughs> that was not the distinction I was making. The other piece of information that fits into the narrative that Harry kind of suddenly, you know, is making sense of is why Voldemort is chasing after these wand makers. What is this wand he's looking for? Harry has this kind of narrative in which these constitutive parts now all make sense. And what Hermione is doing is saying, no, look at the constitutive parts and see what does the story you say, based on the facts that we have, not on some fable. And I think you're so right to point to two very different approaches to thinking about knowledge. And it's honestly, I think, one way in which science and religion often gets put into opposing camps because science often, you know, focuses on the on the scientific method. And thank goodness, right? Looking at those constitutive parts, what does it add up to? How can we hypothesize from the things that we know and extrapolate, you know, potential solutions? Well, religion often starts with a narrative or starts with a worldview into which then constitutive parts get placed. And one of the joys, I think, of, of seeing how research into meditation and mindfulness, for example, is pointing out how these spiritual practices actually have all sorts of benefits, right, for our mental well-being, for our sense of connection to other people, for our, you know, anxiety, all sorts of evidence that's emerging that why these practices have value. But there's two ways in, right? One way in is to say, well, these practices have been passed down generation from generation, and that's why it's good to do. And another approach says, well, I want to see the scientific evidence base before I sing with other people, or before I do sacred reading, you know, before I trust that this has value. And I love what we see in this chapter. They actually both end up at the same conclusion, right? That you should choose Horcruxes over Hallows. But the chapter helps us see the value of both systems and probably that we need some balance of both in order to really know in a complete way. The chapter also demonstrates something that feels so, so true to me, which is that you can believe someone and not believe them at the same time. Hermione believes Harry that he has these visions of Voldemort and that Voldemort has been looking for a wand, but she doesn't see it. And so she doesn't take it seriously. She doesn't believe that he should be seeing those visions. He Mm -hmm. thinks that maybe Voldemort is using them against him. She, I think if put on the stand and somebody asked her, do you believe Harry? She'd be like, yes, I believe him. And yet she doesn't trust in them. It's the same reason why often, like if your two friends are getting divorced and they have totally different versions of what happened, you're just more likely to believe the story that you heard first. Yes. And I think that there are certain things that you can believe it on like a shallow level without Mm. having it totally sink in. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, again, I think we see that with Ron a little bit where he's trying to find that radio station every night and Harry and Hermione are like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Yeah, I believe you that that there's some radio station, but like they're not invested in helping him, right? They're not cataloging what passwords he's tried or like, let's figure out, you know, on Fridays, it turns out, "Mm, you know, whatever this pattern might be the one to look for. So there's kind of different levels of investment in knowledge where we're not going to risk our time or energy or resources, like that knowledge is so thin, we're we're not willing to make that investment. 
Yeah, and I bet, you know, we don't see it, but I bet tomorrow they would be, right? Mm -hmm. And it just speaks to the power of actually experiencing something, which, again, I think is something that we are learning anew right now in COVID, where it's like, yes, you can talk to your friends. You can do – I went to a virtual baby naming ceremony this Mm. past weekend, right? Like, we can still do a lot, but, like, a baby naming ceremony where you can't, like, hug the parents and, like – awkwardly wonder where the gift table is and like (laughs) take your turn kissing the baby. It doesn't give you the same knowledge. One of the reasons that baby naming ceremonies are so important is because then you feel like, well, I've known this child its whole life. Right. right. And you, you just have more of an investment in loving the child because you were there sort of week one and weren't given the opportunity to hold it and watch it get its name. And like there's magic to that. And doing that online, I don't feel like I know this baby. There's something in the chapter that corresponds to what you've just said that I think is really interesting. We see Harry react to the voices of Kingsley and of Lee Jordan and the others. And the text tells us that he'd nearly forgotten that other people were resisting Voldemort. And I think the difference between that kind of like flush of like, I mean, I even feel it when I read that moment is like, there's this memory that waves over him, this sense of connection, this sense of love and and kinship, you know, and solidarity. But they already have a relationship. They've already shared time and space and done things together. And what you're pointing to is like, this is the first moment with a newborn baby where you're having to start at distance rather than having something that's shared and then going to distance. And so it feels like we can re-up on knowledge or experience that we've had before, but it's hard to build that from a foundation of absence. Like it's, it's not the same richness of knowledge. Or it's just, you know, it's just different kind of knowledge. My friend Amanda and I have a, we try to get dinner once a month. And sometimes one or the both of us is traveling. And so we'll skip a month. And in the month that we skip, it's not like we're then committed to getting on the phone. It's like, oh, we couldn't have dinner this month. But now, no matter where we are, we FaceTime, right? And so since the pandemic, we haven't skipped a month. So I think that different technologies and different things allow for different possibilities. I'm not trying to denigrate online. No, absolutely. And there's something also that that really touched me, especially in this moment when we're recording at this point in America, more than 200,000 people have died because of COVID. And there's been so few public invitations to grieve. And what happens in this short radio broadcast, I mean, it really can't be more than 10, 15 minutes long. Lee Jordan shares information that that Dirk Cresswell and Ted Tonks have been killed, that Bathilda Bagshot is dead, that a Muggle family has been killed, that a Gornuck has been killed, another goblin. And so it's just this litany of horrors that he's having to share with the kind of resistance movement. And then he says, you know, would you share a moment of silence with me? And in this precious time of broadcast, which is all about sharing information, they invest in sharing silence to commemorate the loss of of life. And not just for people that they know, it's an unnamed muggle family. And for me, that really just went right up that pyramid to wisdom. They're embodying the values of what they're fighting for by making space and acknowledging the loss of these lives. And I just found that incredibly moving that even across distance, even just using technology, not being able to be present together, they were able to share silence. And the trio observe it too. I found that really moving. Absolutely. Casper, can we just talk briefly about maybe the only like comic relief moment before we leave the radio program? Yes. Which is Fred and or George being like, (laughs) I don't want to be called that. (laughs) Call me this. And I just think that no matter who you are, 
you don't know Fred and George, you're listening to this from hundreds of miles away. That moment is charming. <laughs> and like a reminder of like the petulance of people and that even in wartime, people are vain. Like I just found it so delightfully charming to hear someone throw a hissy fit in the middle of a war broadcast. <laughs> I thought the comic moment you'd be pointing us to is the fact that Ron recognizes Kingsley's voice and is about to be like, oh my God, it's Kingsley. And Hermione's like, we know. <laughs> I read that as different where she's like, we know. Don't interrupt. <laughs> Your male voice is not the important male voice in the room right now. <laughs> I don't know. That touched me too. <laughs> <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So, Casper, the real moment of, like, knowledge failing to me is at the very end of the chapter. Mm. Ron knows that saying Voldemort's name is a curse and that it's going to cause problems. And Harry has been told it. He, on one level, knows, and I think he believes Ron that it's cursed, right? I don't think he's, like, trying to make a point. But there's something about all of the years of training that even though you know better, you just can't pass out of it, right? Like, you can't get out of that habit. Yeah. And you would think that the threat of you will get arrested if you say this name is important enough. But what it made me wish for is that they'd had like a training session where Ron sat them down and was like, repeat after me, you know who, repeat after me, you know poo. This is such a high stakes 
simple piece of knowledge, I was like, oh, this was a missed opportunity of like really shoving this piece of knowledge in. Absolutely. It's why we have things like stop, drop and roll or, you know, stranger danger or just the, the, these phrases that you learn as a very young person, which that can be incomplete or, or even wrong, but they are heuristics that kind of shape our, our neural pathways. And if they had practiced not just you know who, but if they would practiced like Voldemoricio, right? Like just just if you find yourself saying this word, like find a way out so that you don't end up getting caught in the way that they do. And that takes training, right? It's information transfer doesn't just happen by me saying it while you're in the room. Learning is a process that needs practice and it needs testing and it needs not not in a standardized test way, but like you need an opportunity to give it a go and to apply it in real life. So like, could they have set up like scary situations where like Hermione's dressed up as Volda Maurizio and Harry has to like not say his name? They had time, right? So this this was yeah. a lack of imagination to actually put that knowledge into practice. And I think maybe, I'm very sad to say, having been so pro-Ron, it was on Ron to really enforce this. Well, yes and no, right? Like, I think that this shows Ron's lack of confidence still, that he wasn't like, guys, I've learned the most important thing and we have to take this so, so seriously. He still doesn't want to talk about the fact that he left. He doesn't really like talking about the things he learned about while he left because he doesn't want to be seen making the argument, isn't it a good thing that we left, right? And what I don't see in Ron's ability yet is the ability to stand up and be like, look, the reason I left sucked, but I learned one thing that I think can save our lives. So like, can we practice it? And that's a really hard needle to thread. And I think Hermione might've stormed off. And so I'm not blaming anyone. I'm just saying that, yeah, the the knowledge was in the room and yet they couldn't pull it off. One final place that I saw this theme of knowledge is in the phrase, he felt armed in certainty. Harry figures out that he's descended from the Peverells, or or he thinks he's figured it out. And there is something a little frightening in this moment for me. Harry may be right, but the way in which he's going about being right is pretty aggressive. It's, It's insistent in a way that isn't curious. It's kind of dogmatic. And that he felt armed in certainty peace reminded me of, you know, religious zealots, people who are so convinced of their own rightness that it is literally weaponized. I mean, that is a war image we're getting from the text, armed in certainty. And he's he is using that weapon against Hermione in a way that she is having to kind of navigate and you know, not not make him angry because, I mean, they're a little afraid of him in this chapter. There's a couple of moments where Harry is kind of like thinking about using the resurrection stone and Hermione is looking at him like she's afraid of him living with the dead. Like he is not doing okay right now. And and there's a twinge of nastiness that, that we see in that moment that is worth pointing to. And I think one of the reasons why his daydreaming is so obsessed with this wand, right? This 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 weapon of war that he could then finally use to kill Voldemort. Yeah, I just also really feel for Harry in this moment. What it reminds me of is Harry in book six when he was obsessed with Draco and he was mm. right. And I hate to judge someone's behavior about whether or not they're right in the end, mm. but I also do think it matters or if they at least had very strong reasons for suspecting that they were right because I think that If you know something and the stakes are high, it is your job to do everything you can to get that information out there. 
And I think that we have real heroes of this even now, right? Like Dr. Fauci is right. getting death threats regularly from the right and is putting his reputation and family on the line to like speak truth to power. And we believe him. So we see him as completely reasonably positioned. But someone on the other side is like, this man is hysterical. Stop giving him a microphone. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel for Harry. He's completely right. And he desperately wants to be believed. Yeah, really thinking about where, what are the places that we seek out knowledge? What kind of knowledge is respected and deemed legitimate? Yeah. So Casper, it is now time for parties. And before we do it, I should probably pick a sentence. So here is one. The sentence I picked is, I don't know, we could do with an unbeatable wand, said Harry, turning the blackthorn wand he so disliked over in his fingers. Oh. So Casper, this is from sort of the beginning of the chapter where they are arguing about whether or not this story could be true. And Hermione says, if surviving was as simple as hiding under an invisibility cloak, we'd have everything we need. And Harry's like, not really. I would really <laughs> like that unbeatable wand. That sounds pretty good. Yeah, Harry's holding this wand that Ron pilfered from the Snatches. And despite being grateful for it, he knows he's not capable of the same kind of magic using someone else's wand. And so it's interesting that he's saying, oh, we could use, he means I, <laughs> or at least we in the sense that his I would be contributing to the we. But yeah, I mean, he is, he's pretty obsessed in thinking about the wand for, for most of this chapter as one of the hallows. You know, the elder wand is the, the one he's missing, he realizes. And it's, of course, the one that Voldemort's looking for. And he's talking about this sense that he and Voldemort's goals are merging together. And so there's, there's a kind of, yeah, just a hint of danger as he's imagining the having of this wand. I had not thought of that, that he and Voldemort now both have the same goal of getting the Elder Wand. Step two is Remez, and we're going to pick a word and you get to pick it this week, Casper, Ooh. to track through all the books. So the sentence one more time is, I don't know. We could do with an unbeatable wand, said Harry, turning the blackthorn wand he so disliked over in his fingers. I mean, it's got to be unbeatable. Unbeatable. Great. So when am I mentioned in the text? <laughs> the place my mind immediately goes is the Quidditch pitch. But it's actually interesting that none of the teams that we meet are unbeatable. Like it's it's actually a pretty open game in the sense that you know, there isn't one consistent winner, or at least the House Cup winners always get beaten at least once. So part of me is thinking, is this unbeatable wand really unbeatable? That's one place my mind goes. Where else do we see unbeatable? I mean, this is still Quidditch, but, you know, Harry gets like the nicest, best broom and it's an unbeatable broom. Mm. But then we know the Dementors come and it's entirely beatable if you fall off of it in fear. So, yeah, just more speaking to Quidditch. Hermione is unbeatable in school. Mm -hmm. She gets all the OWLs and except that Harry can beat her <laughs> in Defense Against the Dark Arts. I'm even thinking about the way in which Voldemort's trying to put together these Horcruxes to become unbeatable by death. And of course that gets undone. Wow. Is there any place in the book where like something truly is unbeatable? What I'm thinking is Dumbledore was unbeatable. 
Dumbledore brought himself down, right? He tried to destroy a Horcrux by himself and ended up poisoning himself. And then orchestrates this like great Shakespearean drama for his own death. But he beats Grindelwald. He beats Voldemort in the battle in the ministry. He beats the Ministry of Magic in book five. He might be unbeatable. That doesn't mean that he's always on the winning side. But like he himself seems nearly unbeatable. Well, and I'm just thinking if he defeated Grindelwald... While Grindelwald had the Elder Wand, he has even beaten the unbeatable wand. Yeah, which is how he got it. Yeah, Dumbledore is the ultimate, like, beater of unbeatables. (laughs) I guess, you know, it's so interesting because we know that in a few chapters, Voldemort is going to, quote unquote, beat Dumbledore. Because Dumbledore buried the wand with himself. He wanted the Elder Wand to be gone from the face of the earth. So he took it under with him. And I think it never occurred to him that like Voldemort was going to figure it out and like dig under his marble grave, right? Like, I mean, Voldemort, quote unquote, beats Dumbledore in that way. Mm. But it's just because he's willing to sink so incredibly low. I was going to say by doing that, he's actually beating himself, right? Like it's such a low move. Like six feet below ground. Six feet under. Yeah. (laughs) Vanessa, with a little sleuthing, Ariana just found that the only other mention of the actual word unbeatable is when my love, Oliver Wood, <laughs> says, just pre a Quidditch match, he says, we have two unbeatable beaters in Fred and George. And I just love that so much because, <laughs> first of all, Oliver Wood, hark back to a happier time. But also that we're seeing in the text the connection between unbeatable and beaters or beatable. So there's there's this sense that the word unbeatable is already inherently connected with someone who is going to beat it in the end. Uh, so it's kind of undermining the whole premise, which which is exactly what we were just talking about. Yeah. And it leads me to the drosh that I would want to preach on, which is someone is only unbeatable if they are degrading themselves. Like Trump, to a large extent, is unbeatable. Because if Biden sweeps, Trump is going to walk away saying it was corrupt. The election was a fraud. Mm -hmm. I do believe that there will, in the end, be a peaceful transfer of powers. But I think that the the narrative he is going to tell himself for the rest of his life and anyone who will listen to him is that he won, that he Mm -hmm. was unbeatable. And so if you ever feel invincible or unbeatable, (laughs) what I would preach is... Like, think about what parts of you you have given up in order to have that feeling. Because a little bit of fear and a little bit of humility is to be human and is to keep you connected to others. It's the thing that we want all teenagers who are speeding to remember. Like, you are not invincible. Right. Or if they're going to a concert in Indiana, that, you know, they need to be careful. They were careful. (laughs) Would you read the sentence one more time? I don't know. We could do with an unbeatable wand, said Harry, turning the Blackthorn wand he so disliked over in his fingers. I guess I would think about a message that said, you know, yes, you could always have more and you actually don't need it to complete the mission that you're on or to live the life that you want to live you know, within reason, of course. But as soon as you know that there is something more expensive, more flashy, more powerful, more whatever, there is this inherent kind of human desire to own it or to, or to control it. 
and I think it's one of the most dangerous things about desire is that like, what is enough? When will it be enough? You know, after you've got the one, maybe there's an incredible diadem that makes you <laughs> the smartest person in the world. And then Harry would be obsessing about that. Well, we could use a diadem, right? And so we are the ones who get to, to say, I have enough. I can do what I need to do. I can live the way I need to live with what I have. And unless we choose that, you know, the world will never tell us that there will, there will always be something more that we could use. Yeah. Okay. I hear ya. <laughs> Felt a little pointed. <laughs> to myself. <laughs> um. So Casper, it's now time for sewed, which means secret. And so we're going to try to find a secret in the text here. So the sentence one more time is, I don't know. We could do with an unbeatable wand, said Harry, turning the blackthorn wand he so disliked over in his fingers. You know, I'm thinking about the blackthorn and what it represents in kind of folk mythology. And Harry is holding this wand that he thinks is worthless or, you know, he doesn't want it at all. But Blackthorn is often associated with overcoming obstacles. It's like protection and hope in the midst of devastation. I mean, maybe the soda is just like an extra layer on my drush, but there's a sense that like he literally has in his hand all that he needs to complete the task. And to, to let us look at what we have as Kate Rusby, one of my favorite folk singers, always sings in her fabulous song, Only Desire What You Have. That's what he's missing out on. And I, I think that's what I'm missing out on. And so that's the soda that, that I want to remember. How about you, Vanessa? Did you did you get a sewed? A similar sewed occurred to me because, yeah, you could always do with an unbeatable wand. We all could. And Dumbledore in his infinite wisdom was like, do you know what? Everyone could do with it, but there's only one. And so no one is going to have it. Right. Like it's like a nuclear bomb. It's like everyone is going to want one because one person has it. So best to just take them all away. Something weird about the symbolism of him, like, saying it'll die with me. Like, I don't know why he doesn't just, like, snap it in half and break it. But I do think that there was wisdom in him saying, if something is truly unbeatable, it doesn't belong on this earth. Thank you so much for doing that pardes with me, Casper. I just love every time we choose a sentence and I'm like, oh, where's this going to go? It goes somewhere amazing. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This week's voicemail is from Vicola. Hi, everybody at the Harry Potter and the Secret Text team. My name is Vicola, and first, I just want to thank you for an amazing podcast. I am leaving my voicemail from Stockholm, Sweden, and my blessing is to do with my extreme feeling of helplessness because I can't vote in the American election. I don't live in America. I don't have an American citizenship. I've never even been to the U.S., but I still want to vote. Every day we hear about the American election on our news. Most of the social media I consume is made by American content creators. And almost every day I hear someone say, please vote. And I just feel so helpless. Because I know that the outcome of this election will affect me and the rest of the world too. And I can't do the one most effective thing to help. I just have to sit and watch and let it play out and hope for the best. And at first this made me think of Jenny in the room of requirement at the Battle of Hogwarts, sitting at the sidelines, worrying. But she got her chance to help. But then I remembered Mrs. Tonks, who already lost her husband and her only child is fighting in the war. But she herself can't help because she has to take care of her grandchild, not knowing that his parents will never come home. She doesn't even get any updates about the war until it's over, so she is truly helpless and can only hope. And right now I feel her pain. It's immensely hard to know that something big is happening and that you can't be a part of it. So I want to bless Mrs. Tonks and everyone who feels like they're at the sidelines right now. We will get through this too. Thanks again for the podcast. Bye. Vicola, I am so with you. I mean, I have a green card here and I can't vote. I'm allowed to give money and I have. And I've emailed friends in swing states to be like, listen, we haven't spoken in a few years, but please make sure you register to vote. Here's the link. I mean, there's all sorts of philosophical discussions about the impact that one election in America has on the rest of the world, especially when you think about global issues like war and peace, climate, trade, you know, all sorts of issues. My God, global health. Please, if if you are an American citizen, please vote. Please vote your values. You know, be inspired by what this story is about, love and justice and community and commitment. I mean, it's no secret where we stand. (laughs) Please just vote. I can't deal with this guy anymore. And, you know, the other thing, Vekla, that you're really making me think of is there's been a really dramatic and 
heart-wrenching fight going on in Florida because there are a lot of people with certain kinds of fines or ex-felons who were reinstated as voters and then the right to vote was taken away. And now there's a big battle as to whether or not it can be given back. Michael Bloomberg and LeBron James have partnered up and like try to pay off all these people's fines. But this is also a problem for millions of Americans who their right to vote was taken away or is going to be questioned at the polls or they're going to be people sort of, quote unquote, guarding the polls. This is not a free and fair election, not only if you're like Casper, someone who pays taxes and has a real stake in the course of America but can't vote. But there are so many people who've been disenfranchised from this vote. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this chapter. Who are you blessing this week? I'm going to bless Molly. I mean, we know that she taught Ron that when you don't know what to do, to make a cup of tea for everyone, as I've now learned. And I just think, you know, Molly, Molly is with the trio in so many ways. They left from a safe space where Hermione could safely pack a bag over many days because of Molly. They left with full bellies because of Molly. Even though Hermione and Harry don't have parents, they have a home to return to because of Molly. When the war is over, I'm guessing they're all going to go to the borough. And so Molly is just such an important part of this war who we haven't seen in a little while. And Ron enacting this thing that she taught him reminded me of her. So a blessing for Molly, such a key part of this mission. What about you, Casper? As I was reading this chapter, I had like 800 ideas of who I wanted to bless because there are so many beautiful moments. I mean, we see Hagrid hosting a support Harry Potter party, which is like so misguided, but beautiful. You know, Dean narrowly escapes being caught and killed. Hermione is like insisting that Luna must be alive. She must be alive. But I guess the the blessing I want to give that really resonated for me this week was Kingsley, who takes the time in that radio broadcast to ask all wizards, everyone who's listening, to cast protections over muggle houses on their street, to take care of people in their neighborhood, to do, you know, something small that could make such a big difference in the lives of their local community. And I think that's what we're all being asked to do right now, is to cast a protective charm over our neighbors by wearing a mask, to look after the people we don't even know the names of by making sure that we stay socially distant and to remember that we don't need to know each other to care for one another. And I I just found that so moving this time. So a blessing for Kingsley. That's sexy, sexy links. (laughs) You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing this episode and others in the Facebook common room. And please join our local groups and come and join the community of people supporting us on Patreon. Just this month, we were approached to feature an ad that would have given cash to JK Rowling and guided by our principles that we've come together as a community on, we said no. And so it's because of your support on Patreon that we can make those financial decisions and live out our values. So a big, big thank you to all of you who are doing that. I love reading those reviews on iTunes and listening to your voicemail. So please send them in. Next week, we'll be doing an owl post with Jolie Doggett talking about representation in book seven. 
This podcast is produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Boll, and we are distributed by Acast. We'd like to thank Vicola for this week's voicemail, Julia Argy, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, Stephanie Paisau, and all of you for listening and all of your support. Thank you so much, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Vanessa, we're reading this chapter through the theme of knowledge in a biblical sense, and you are telling a story for today. So my great, 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 great grandma was a woman named Eve, and she lived in a beautiful, beautiful garden. She was a nudist, and she lived quite a simple life. She was... Vitamin C deficient one day, (laughs) plenty of vitamin D due to the nudity. And she was passing an apple tree and she thought, well, this will solve my problem. And so she took the apple, a victimless crime.